Hello, welcome back to The Wire Podcast. I am your host, Ryan McCrary. I have a lot to talk about today. I want to talk about the college football season. Is it done? Is it going to get canceled? That's a huge possibility. I also want to talk about Fernando Tatis, the shortstop for the San Diego Padres. I'm going to talk about, I'll talk a little bit of NBA today. I want to talk about the Trailblazers and the Suns. Then I'm going to finish off this episode talking about the finalists for the NBA regular season awards. Those have been announced. I want to talk about those, give my thoughts on them. But yeah, we got a lot to talk about, so let's get into it. Starting off with the college football season. Is it going to get canceled? Honestly, I don't know. But if you're not aware, uh, over the last couple of days... There have been increased talks about canceling the 2020-2021 college football season due to mainly the long-term effects of COVID-19, um, or that's what's being talked about. Um, the Big Ten isn't playing. They have announced uh, the conference. The conferences. Wow, the conferences' presidents have voted 12 to 2 to cancel the season. Um, but what's weird is. There's a couple of teams that have said that they want to play. And Nebraska Senator uh, Ben Sasse wrote to the Big Ten presidents saying the season shouldn't be canceled. Um, There's a lot of people that are upset. A lot of players want to play. And I love how some of the best players in all of college football are speaking out against the season being canceled. They're using their platform, Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, they have been very vocal on Twitter about how they want to play. They don't want the season to be canceled. And I love how they're using their leadership. They're using their platform to be vocal about how much they want to play. I love to see it. Uh, but yeah, the Big Ten, they're not playing. They're Now, they, along with the Pac-12, those are the, the only two conferences that have officially canceled. The ACC and the Big 12 are still on the fence, according to Dan Patrick. And also according to Dan Patrick, the SEC is still planning to play. Now, I love that. Uh, I like to see that. Uh, But, you know, it's not a guarantee. Maybe all three conferences do cancel. That may happen. Uh, But the SEC is planning to play this this year's college football season. Um, It'll be really, really interesting to see if players uh, from from the conferences that have canceled, it'll be interesting to see if those if players from those conferences will transfer uh, to the conferences that do play if they do decide to do that. Obviously, um, I mean I'd love to see guys like Justin Fields, um, Panay Sewell from Oregon. I'd love to see those guys transfer into the SEC so we can see all of the top top guys play this year because if they don't play that's going to hurt that could possibly hurt their draft stock that affects you know that affects a lot of guys careers moving forward and I don't want to see that I want to see guys play I want to see guys I don't want to see guys draft stock get hurt uh, because their conference canceled the season I don't want to see that um and it'll be it'll be interesting. I I wonder if teams are going to join the SEC. Like let's say the SEC is the only conference to play, are teams going to be able to join the SEC? 
and not join their conference full-time or permanently, but just for the season, can that happen? I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see. Um, but this is crazy. It, it is just, like, insane to think about. Uh, like, some conferences canceling the season, some not playing, and then some conferences deciding to play. It's wild to think about. I personally think the football season should be played. Um, I know that may sound selfish, uh, but I don't think it is. I just personally don't believe that it is safer for kids to not play football, to go home, be off campus, than it is for them to be on the football field. I don't think it's more dangerous for them uh, to be playing college football because if they do decide to play, uh, if they are going to play, they're going to be in a more controlled environment. They're going to be tested a lot. Um, and, you know, I think those two factors make it more safe than if these kids are going back home where the government has not done a great job handling COVID-19. Masks are not going to be are not requi- required everywhere. Social distancing isn't being enforced. And a lot of kids grow up um, in poor neighborhoods. They're not as privileged as other guys. They, they aren't raised in as good of situations. So they're going, they're going back home and maybe they're poor. Maybe they don't live in the best areas. And so that also impacts their health. And during COVID-19, we've seen a rise in suicides among teenagers. And that's going to continue to rise if guys are going back to, to tough lives uh, or if they go back home where their situations aren't the best. You can see that continue to rise if they go back home where there aren't, they don't have protocols that they have to follow. You can see guys going out to clubs, they're going out to party, they're hanging out. They're not following social distancing protocols, um, which they would if they were having to live on campus and follow protocols set by the incident of Belay. Uh, now, I would like, if they do decide to play, I want to see guys, if they decide to opt out, I think they should keep their eligibility. Um, I don't want to see guys lose scholarships over this. I think I think athletes should be protected, even if they decide not to play. And I want to see guys, if their conference has canceled the season, I want to see those guys be able to transfer, get uh, be granted el- immediate eligibility so they can play this season i just i just hope that someone will stand up that there will be some kind of leadership because right now the leadership has been terrible no one has stepped up we got got we got 20 year olds that have no position of power whatsoever they're they look like the most mature people in this situation that shouldn't be the case someone needs to step up someone needs to make the tough decisions and someone needs to make the smart decision. And I don't want to hear the NCAA say that they care about these athletes' health. Because they don't. Like Over the last couple of years, they've proven that they do not care about their athletes. They just don't. It's a fact. Um, I think the main reason why they want to cancel the season is if they do play, they're liable to get sued. Um I mean, it's a huge liability for them, and I understand that, but I would rather them just come out and say that 
than to say that they're worried about the long-term health of their players because they really aren't. All they care about is money. That's really all they care about. Um, and it's just it's, it's BS for them to say that they care about the players' long-term health uh, when they honestly don't. Um, but, but I think the, the season should be played. And if players decide not to play, I respect their decision. This is a very difficult decision to make. Um, and it's tough to decide to play during a pandemic. I understand that if you don't want to play, there are legitimate risks with this virus. Me personally, I would play. Um, but if a guy doesn't feel comfortable, they have the right not to play. I respect that decision because there are long-term effects. You can die from this disease. There's, it's risky, but it's a risk I would be willing to take. And I just don't think that players are more safe away from universities, away from a controlled environment, which they would be in if they are going to play this season. I think I think it's smarter uh, for guys to be on campus getting tested. That's just my opinion. But yeah, we'll see what happens. It'll be interesting if the season is canceled for, for some conferences and not for others. It'll be interesting to see what players do. What if guys transfer? Like, what what's Trey Lance gonna do, the quarterback for North Dakota State? Because the FCS, I don't I don't think they're canceling the season. I think it's po- I think their championship, um, is postponed. Um, I I don't really I'm not really knowledgeable about that situation, so I'm not gonna talk about it. But we could see Trey Lance transfer. Um, so that'll be interesting to see. I'm just really really, um. I'm just intrigued by this whole situation, what guys are going to do, what decisions are going to be made. Uh, But yeah, I just hope that someone's going to step up, make smart decisions, uh, make a decision that's smart and that takes into consideration the player's health. Um, And I I just don't want the season to be canceled when it actually can be played. Um, The the players want to play. I think they've been putting in the work. Uh, they should be allowed to go onto the field, uh, fight along with their brothers, with their coaches, and I think they should be they should be allowed to play this season. Um, I think we we with all the facts we have, we know the the statistics about COVID nineteen. Younger people are aren't at, aren't as are at as big of a risk um, as people with with. Uh, pre-existing medical situations and older people, uh, they can still die, and they're still at risk a little bit. They're just way less at risk uh, than the people in the demographic that I just uh, laid out. Um, and, and, and I think that the players, uh, they're safer um, on campus than away from home, so I think they should play. But yeah. Let's move on and talk about Fernando Tatis Jr., shortstop for the San Diego Padres. And this guy has been incredible this season. He looks like one of the best young hitters in all of baseball. Um, he, he's been incredible. Last year, he had a solid rookie year. Uh, finished third in rookie, rookie of the year voting. He, he had a, a good rookie year. Uh, batted uh, batted three, 317. Had a 379 on base percentage, 590 slugging percentage, 969 on base plus slugging percentage. Um, had a 
Actually, yeah, yeah. Uh, had a 4.1 war, 153 OPS plus. That That's pretty good. That's a really good year. Now this year he has turned it up a level. I know it's a I know it's a small sample size. They've only played 16 games, I believe. Um, but he's been great. In 63 at bats, he has 15 runs, eight home runs, 18 RBIs, four stolen bases, nine walks. He's got an, a 3.33 batting average, a 4.17 on base percentage, an 8.10 slugging percentage. A 1.226 on base plus slugging percentage, a 2.43 OPS plus, 1.4 uh, WAR, a WRC plus of 2.32, a 4.76 ISO, um, a 4.06 BAPIP. I mean, he's been absolutely fantastic. He's walking slightly more than he was last year. He doesn't reach on swings as much. Um, his exit velocity is a hundred in the 100th percentile. His hard hit percentage is, is in the 100th percentile as well. His barrel percentage is in the 99th percentile, and his sprint his sprint speed is in the 97th percentile. He's been amazing this year. Um, he's an MVP candidate right now. He's probably gonna finish second behind Aaron Judge, um, who has been on fire as well. But Fernando Tatis Jr. He's 21 years old. He's hitting like this. If he continues to hit like this, he's gonna be a top, like a top 15 player one one day. Uh, because right now he is such a good hitter. He hits for power. One of the better power hitters in the league uh, this season. He's insane. Now he's not a great fielder. Um, that is that is something that that he struggles with. Uh, but he just hits for power. Um, and in the last six games. He's got 23 at-bats, and in those at-bats, he's gotten 10 hits, 6 home runs, 9 RBIs. In the last 6 games, he's hitting, uh, his batting average is 435, he's got a 480 on-base percentage, 1.261 1, slugging percentage, a 1.741 OPS. That's insane. Over the last 6 games, he's been incredible. Um, and in o- over the, the last 6 games... That run has boosted his numbers up dramatically. Uh, and now he's looking like one of the best hitters in all of baseball for this season. He's been great. Uh, and, you know, against the Dodgers, he had one hit where he just he just hit an absolute bomb. Had a little bit of a bat flip. It was sweet. You probably saw the highlight. It was amazing. But, yeah, I can't wait to see what Tostis Jr. does in the future because uh, the future is bright with him. Um, he is such a good hitter, um, and just one of the flashiest young hit young players in the game of baseball. I love it. I love to see what he can do. He's just so much fun to watch, and and I love having young players. Like we have Ronald Acuna, we have like Luis Robert for the White Sox this year, uh, Christian Yelich. We have all these young hitters, and uh, Juan Soto for the Nationals. Fernando Tatis Jr. looks like he can be just as good as those guys. Um, I love him. He's a beast, and he's having a great season. Let me get a drink real quick. Ah, doing these podcasts, my throat does get dry uh, throughout the duration of a pod. Um, and right now, I have an, a mouth also, so it kind of hurts a little bit. Uh, but let's keep fighting through. Let's talk about the Trailblazers. And the Suns, who are both fighting um, for for 
a playoff spot. They're fighting for the eighth seed. One of them is going to get the ninth seed, I believe. Um, and we're guaranteed to have a play-in tournament. It's probably going to be between the Grizzlies and the Trailblazers, in my opinion. Um, and Portland has been awesome in the receding games. They're 4-2 uh, in the in the season's return. Um, and they benefit... Wow, I'm dropping this cap. They benefited greatly uh, from the months of rest. They got... Uh, Nurkic and Collins back. They were hurt during the regular season. They got those guys back. Um, Gary Trent Jr. has been balling. Uh, but I want to talk about Nurkic and Collins. Those guys are huge for this team. Nurkic is one of uh, the better young the better young centers in the game. He's really good. Um, he's good defensively. He's pretty good around the rim. Good offensively. He, he is he, a huge piece for this team. Collins is as well. Uh, and one of the more surprising storylines of the bubble is Gary Trent Jr., who has been on fire in the bubble, averaging 18 points, uh, 1.5 assists, 2 rebounds, uh, shooting 54% from the field, 57% from 3 on 8.5 attempts per game. That's insane. He's shooting 78% from the free throw line. Gary Trent Jr. has been absolutely fantastic. And his emergence in the bubble gives the Portland Trailblazers uh, some guard depth. um, And he just increases their offensive firepower, which makes them way more dangerous. And now, the Portland Trailblazers look like a... They're looking like a very dangerous team. And with their guard depth uh, and their scoring, they could possibly make it very difficult for the Lakers in the first round if they were to be the eighth seed and face them in the first round. Um, you know, Damian Lillard is a top ten player in the NBA, um, and his, his pull up shooting is going to make it very difficult for the Lakers uh, because they don't have a lot of guys that are good good perimeter defenders. Uh, Avery Bradley would have been huge for them if if he would have played, if he would have joined them in the bubble. He did not. And they don't have a lot of great perimeter players at all, uh, besides LeBron. Um, and it's going to be very difficult with all those wings that Portland has. I mean, they have Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, Carmelo Anthony, Gary Trent Jr. They have a lot of wings and gar- guards. Um who can put up buckets in a hurry. Um, and when they set high screens for Damian Lillard, he's going to be able to weaponize his pull-up shooting against the Lakers. And they can make it very tough. Now, I don't want to talk about that potential series until, until it happens, if it does. Uh, I'll probably make a video about that. But yeah, they've been ph- phenomenal. That team is legit. Uh, the Trailblazers are a team to look out for uh, if they do make the playoffs. Now, the Suns, if there was a team I was going to pick to go undefeated in the bubble, this is not the team I would have gone with. But right now, the Suns, they're undefeated in the reseeding games, mainly because of Devin Booker. He's been awesome. He's averaging 29 points, 6 assists, and I did not write down the rebounds. Uh, but he's shooting 50% from the field, 31% from 3, 92% from the free throw line. He's been incredible offensively in the bubble. DeAndre Ayton, he's been good as well, averaging 18-2-10. Uh, 
uh, with 56, 43, and 67 shooting splits. He's been great. Hasn't shot a lot of threes, so it's not uh, high volume, but he is hitting them when he does take them. Um, Mike, Mikael Bridges, he's been awesome on defense. His length is insane, um, and although he's not a great offensive player, he is fantastic on defense. Now, Cam Johnson, he's been playing pretty well in the bubble as well. Uh, hasn't shot that great from three, uh, but he's been super solid in the bubble. I like to see it. The Suns have a lot more depth than the Trailblazers. That's one thing that worries me about Portland. They don't have a lot of depth, uh, so they're, they're going to have to play Damian Lillard, uh, Yusuf Nurkic, uh, CJ McCollum. They're, they're going to have to play those guys a ton. Um, so they're going to get tired. They're going to get fatigued quickly. That's why I don't think they're going to have that much success in the playoffs if they do make it. Uh, but that's something the Suns don't... That's not an issue they have. I mean, coming off the bench, they have Dario Saric. Uh, Cameron Payne has been solid in the mobile. Um, they got a, they got more depth than uh, than the, the Trailblazers. Though, I just don't know if they're going to be able to make it into the play-in tournament. Portland's playing so well. Uh, they, they're on a roll. Damian Lillard's been playing out of his mind in the bubble. He's been great, uh, especially uh, as a scorer. I think the Trailblazers are going to force a play-in tournament versus the Grizzlies. I think the Suns are narrowly going to miss out. But both teams are playing so well. I had to give them give them some love on the podcast. Shout out to both those teams. They're playing super well. Um, but yeah, let's close out the pod talking about the awards finalists. I need to pull them up real quick. It's on NBA.com. I believe they were announced uh, Saturday. Yeah, I had a grab party, and that's when they were announced. Let me look them up. Look them up. Uh, pretty interesting. I want to talk about them. I actually wrote an article on my on my website uh i think a few weeks back talking about these making my picks let's start off with the the nba most valuable player finalist it's Giannis antetokounmpo from the milwaukee bucks james harden for the houston rockets and lebron james for the los angeles lakers i don't have a problem with those three guys being the finalist at all uh they're all deserving of being up there i would have put uh anthony davis up there uh, but James Harden had a great season as well. I would have, even though Anthony Davis is the second option, um, and I would penalize guys for not being the primary option on their team, he was so good in that role. He was one of the best defenders in the league. I think he was just so good in that role that I would have put him up there, and he was one of the main reasons why his team um, was the number one seed in the Western Conference. But I get having James Harden up there. For me, this is easy. It's Giannis Antetokounmpo. He should win it unanimously, in my in my opinion. I just don't see an argument for anyone but him. Uh, so I believe he should win it unanimously. I know that's a hot take, uh, but you know that that's just what I believe. I think that should happen. LeBron James had a great year. Um, he was awesome as the primary initiator for L- for the Lakers. Uh, he switched positions played point guard for a majority of the year uh, or he played a, a point guard for the entire year I don't know why I said a majority of the year uh, he played point guard uh, and in that new new role he evolved into a high volume three-point shooter um, he led the league in assist he was awesome this year 
Uh, but Giannis was just the most dominant offensive force in the league while also being the best defensive player in the NBA. And his team had the best record in the league. Um, and he doesn't have that second star like LeBron. Now, Chris Middleton is very good, but he is not on Anthony Davis's level. Um, and because of because of his two-way impact and his team success, I would give Giannis the MVP unanimously. Um, but yeah, all three players are worthy of it. James Harden had a great year statistically, but he did have that one-month stretch where he was not very good, and Russell Westbrook was easily the best player. Um, but yeah, once again, he was great offensively, very efficient. Um, so I see why he's up there. But yeah, I would pick Giannis for MVP. Now, for the NBA Rookie of the, Rookie of the Year, the finalists are John Morant of the Memphis Grizzlies, Kendrick Nunn of the Miami Heat, and Zion Williamson of the New Orleans Pelicans. I do have an issue with these finalists. Um, uh, I do not believe Zion should be a finalist. Um, and I am the biggest Zion fan out there. Uh, I thought he was, I thought he had the potential to become an all-time great going into the draft last year. I think he's amazing. He's the best, he is the best rookie out of this year's class. But he did not have the best, the best season. And he only played 19 games. I don't think he should be a finalist. Uh, I think Brandon Clark should be a finalist. He was really, really good for Memphis. He played so well coming off the bench. He probably would have been a starter, but he played uh, behind Jaron Jackson Jr. and Jonas Valanciunas, uh, two very good big men. But yeah, uh, I would vote John Morant Rookie of the Year. He had a great year average, 18, 7, and like 4, I believe, on good efficiency. And he took a team that was projected to be one of the worst teams in the league and made them a playoff team. Um, and I say that, even though I don't know if they're going to make the playoffs, voting uh, only went through, they, like, they only are going to count what happened up until March when the season was postponed. So that is the only thing, only part of the season being taken into consideration. And so up to that point, Memphis was the eighth seed. So you got to give Morant credit for that. Uh, he was amazing this year. He was so good. Um, and I, I would vote him rookie, rookie of the year. I would also have Kendrick Nunn up there. I love that. Nunn was awesome uh, for, the, for the Miami Heat. He started, um, even though he was undrafted, he played super well for them as, a, as uh, one of their primary initiators. He was great, averaged 16 points per game on uh, solid efficiency, decent defense. But yeah, the only issue I have with this is Zion being a finalist. I get why people would put him up there. I just think he didn't even play a quarter of this of the season, so I'm not going to have him as a finalist, even though I think he was great in, in the small sample size. I just don't think he played enough. Uh, moving on to the Defensive Player of the Year, uh, it's the finalists are Giannis, uh, Anthony Davis from the Lakers, and Rudy Gobert of the Utah Jazz. I would vote Giannis. Uh, the advanced statistics say that he should win it. Uh, he's great. His versatility is amazing. I mean, he led the league in, in defensive player in impact plus minus. I mean, every defensive metric he leads the league in. Uh, so that's why I would vote him. Uh, but just looking at, um, at the film, 
I mean, he's just so versatile. He can protect the rim at a high level. He can go out to the perimeter, guard every position one through five because he's so athletic and so mobile. Um, but uh, Anthony Davis, he had a good year defensively, probably the best year of his career. I mean, he was he was so good. Um, and Rudy Gobert, he was great as well. Rudy Gobert uh, struggles to defend the perimeter. Um, so I probably would have Anthony Davis second, but there's an argument to have Rudy Gobert second. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, Giannis should easily win this award as well. Um, he had a great year, um, and the advanced metrics point to him winning this award. Moving on to the sixth man award, um, the finalists are Montrezl Harrell for the Clippers, Dennis Schroeder for the for the Thunder, and Lou Williams for the Clippers. I um. I would vote Schroeder for this award because he was so, so instrumental in the Thunder's success this year. Um, I didn't think they were going to make the playoffs. I thought they could. Uh, I feel like I was one of the few people who, who thought this team had a legitimate chance to make the playoffs because their roster was pretty good on paper. Uh, uh, there were just some teams um, that didn't make the playoffs that I thought would, like the Warriors and the Spurs. Um, and the Trailblazers, uh, and they ended up being one of those teams to make it in, one of the, one of those surprise teams, and he was a huge part of that. He was um, a big part of one of their best lineups. Um, he was great in the clutch, and he he had one of his better years of his one of the better years of his career, putting up similar production to to what he was putting up when he was when he was the starter in Atlanta. Only now. He's a really good three-point shooter. Um, and because of that, I would have voted for him. Uh, Runner-up for me would be Montrezl Harrell. Uh, his role has increased for the Clippers. Um, he's getting a lot. He's getting better defensively over the years. He's really good uh, defending the rim. Um, he's a good scorer around the rim as well. He's a good rim runner. And he, he is the crunch time center for the, for the Clippers. And for that reason, I would vote him runner-up. Uh, and Lou Williams, his role has decreased as the Clippers have brought in Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, which is understandable. Uh, but what worries me is that he isn't as efficient, uh, and that's worrisome for me. And I just think that that Montrezl Harrell's uh, impact defensively makes him more valuable than, than Lou Williams for the Clippers. So that's why I would vote him runner-up. Uh, but Lou Williams is still one of the best bench scorers in the league. He's awesome. I love Lou Williams. But yeah, I would vote Dennis Schroeder. Uh, I think Harrell. I think I, I see an argument an argument for him. Uh, but Lou Williams is easily third for me. But yeah, I agree with those finalists. All right, for the NBA Most Improved Player Award, the finalists are Bam Adebayo for the Miami Heat, Luka Doncic for the Dallas Mavericks, and Brandon Ingram for the New Orleans Pelicans. Now, I don't feel, like, super strongly about this, uh, but I don't think Brandon Ingram should be a finalist. Uh, he did improve this year, and I thought he was very, very good uh, with the Pelicans this season. Uh, but I don't think he improved more than Jason Tatum. I thought Jason Tatum was a star this year. He was a top 15 player, in my opinion, um, and Brandon Ingram wasn't that. And Jason Tatum went from having a sophomore slump to being one of the top 15 players in the league, in my opinion. 
And I think that's a, a much bigger jump than what Brandon Ingram made. Uh, no, I do. I do. I, I will say that Ingram was better this year. Uh, he was a better three-point shooter than he's been throughout his career. Uh, the passing is still there. The playmaking. Uh, I will say the pull-up shooting could be a little bit better, especially from three. Uh, but yeah, he is good. I just wouldn't put him uh, up there ahead of Jason Tatum. I would actually vote Jason Tatum the most improved player, but he's not a finalist. So out of these three, I would vote Luka Doncic. And the reason being, um, going from a very good rookie to a superstar and one of the best players in the league is the hardest jump you can make. Um, and even though he is a second-year player, and having that jump is expected, or having that kind of progression um, is expected, but I just don't think it's expected this early on. Um, and like I said, going from a really from a, a really good player to a superstar and one of the best players in the league, that's the hardest jump to make. And for that reason, I would vote him most improved player of the year. Uh, but Bam Adebayo has a case as well. I mean, he, he was awesome for the, for the Miami Heat. I mean, he was so good defensively. His versatility on that end was awesome this year. Um, and he, he had a big jump in every statistic. Um, so he has an argument. And the Miami Heat were great this year. Uh, one player that a lot of people will argue for is Devontae Graham. Um, the reason I wouldn't vote him as a top three guy for this award is because last year he played in half of the games. He played like 14 minutes. And so, because, and his minutes increased by almost 20 minutes per game. So, I don't know if this is like an outlier improvement. I don't know if he was just... If he was that good all along, he just finally got the minutes. Um, and I know that may not sound like a good argument, uh, but everyone else on this list had outlier, or in, in my top three, like Jason Tatum, Luka Doncic, and Mam Adebayo, all three of those guys had outlier improvements. Um, but with Devontae Graham, he had such an, in, an outlier increase in minutes that I am in playing time that I don't know if his improvement was outlier, which is why I wouldn't put him in the top three. But if you just look at pure statistics, uh, yeah, Devontae Graham should be on this list. I just don't know if his improvement was outlier. Uh, that's why I wouldn't vote him top three. But I do understand why some people would have him in their top three. Uh, the last award, Coach of the Year, the finalists are Mike Budenholzer, the Milwaukee Bucks coach, Billy Donovan of the Oklahoma City Thunder, and Nick Nurse of the Toronto Raptors. Uh, Mike Budenholzer, I know why he's on there. His team had the best record in the league. They were great. They have the MVP. I would argue that uh, Nate McMillan should be on this list. I mean, the, pa the Pacers uh, were the fifth seed. Actually, hold up. Yeah, they were the fifth seed at the end, uh, in March when the season was postponed. Victor Oladipo didn't play. Um, they added Malcolm Brogdon. DeMontis Sabonis turned into an all-star. Um, and, and, and Sabonis has an argument uh, for most improved player. He had a great year. And since they didn't have Victor Oladipo, they lost uh, Bogdanovich to the Utah Jazz. And they were still a playoff team. 
they were better than the Philadelphia 76ers. For that reason, I think I would have him in there ahead of Mike Budenholzer. Uh, but, yeah, I understand why Coach Bud's on there. But, yeah, Nate McMillan should get consideration for this award. Billy Donovan, yeah, he should be on there. The Thunder were awesome. Uh, and a lot of people, including me, didn't think they were going to make the playoffs. But they did. Uh, and they look like one of the better teams in the Western Conference right now. Uh, but, like, you know, this what happens in the bubble, uh, is, you can't take that into consideration for these awards. But yeah, Billy Donovan, led, he he coached that team uh, into a playoff team uh, in a very tough Western Conference. Chris Paul was great. Dennis Schroeder was awesome. Uh, the the lineup with Dennis Schroeder, Shea, Shea Gilgis Alexander, Chris Paul, uh, Danilo Gallinari, and Steven Adams, that was, I think, statistically the best uh, five-man lineup in the NBA. They did so many good things. They were one of the best uh, clutch teams in the league. Um, and Billy Donovan was a huge part of that, so I, I would have him in my top three. Uh, Nick Nurse for the Toronto Raptors. I would vote him uh, as coach of the year uh, because I believe he's the best coach in the league. So good at making adjustments. He gets the most out of all of his players. Um and they they had the best player in the world last year, in my opinion, in Kawhi Leonard. He left, and they won at a higher rate this year than they did last year. That's insane to me. Uh, and they did that while dealing with a ton of injuries. And Pascal Siakam took that leap. He was very good as the primary scoring option for the Raptors. Uh, that team was amazing this year. They're so good defensively. They're so well coached. And the reason why they're the two seed is because of Nick Nurse. Without Nick Nurse, I don't think they are as good as they are. Uh, but they're a legitimate title contender, in my opinion. And they don't have a a superstar. Um, and that's rare for a title contender. But yeah, Nick Nurse has led that team to the two seed, dealing with injuries, even after losing the best player in the world. Them being that successful is incredibly impressive, in my opinion. So I would vote Nick Nurse for this award. But yeah, um, that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. I hope you all enjoyed this. This was fun. And I will see you all next time. Peace.